Marshall does a great job with his show notes, and we have more show notes on on our other shows. Sorry, one sec, my hotel phone's ringing. For I some thought reason. it was the I thought it was the outro music starting. I was like, wait a minute, hold on, that ha- that happens in post. That can't. What's happening? Are I don't we know, live someone's... editing the outro song? This happened yesterday. Someone called my hotel room number, and I picked up, and it was no one was there. It was fucking weird. Hmm. Maybe I'm about to be murdered. Mm-hmm. <sighs> You're gonna die in seven days, Brian. Welcome to episode 267 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Pregnant pause. <laughs> Welcome to another episode. <laughs> Welcome Brian to another is... episode where Brian lags. My ping is high. I am in a, uh, I wouldn't call it a beach town, but I'm in a coastal city where there is a beach in Taiwan. Uh, so the good thing is I don't have to have a VPN, but the bad news is I'm still around the world from, from Marshall. <laughs> but anyways, we have a good episode coming up. We've got lots of stuff to talk about. But before we can get into any of that, we want to thank our sponsors for making this episode possible. First up is ProtoPie. ProtoPie is back sponsoring the show. They are a prototyping tool that makes it easy to make highly interactive prototypes that you can actually touch and use and feel like the real thing on your device. It has a unique conceptual mental model. Uh, It makes the learning curve really, really easy. So Marshall and I have been poking around and the mental model for ProtoPie makes sense for designing interactions and prototyping interactions on a device. It's amazing. You should check it out. And the cool thing about ProtoPie is it's maybe not the only one, but one of the first really good ones that works on both Mac and Windows, as well as integrating with Adobe XD and Sketch. Uh, So if you're on a Windows device and you've been frustrated with the lack of tooling on Windows or PCs, or if you're using Adobe XD and you're frustrated by the lack of tooling and integrations with with, uh, other design tools, ProtoPie is a pretty good option. It's going to get you a long way. It works on Windows, Mac, uh, and integrates nicely with Adobe XD. ProtoPie prototypes also can be run on device. So it has an iPhone and an Android app, which lets you run prototypes on your device and lets you actually use the sensors on those devices. As a result, you can use the camera, you can use uh, the gyroscopes, you can tilt, touch, you can have a compass. Uh, You can actually utilize the device to make really high fidelity, real-to-life prototypes. And then, of course, like any good prototyping tool, uh, you can open prototypes in the web browser. Uh, They come attached with links that you can share with other people. Uh, And the cool thing about these links that you share is it means that you can have multiplayer prototypes where you prototype networked interactions between two devices on a single prototype. So if you're building a chat application or anything that requires more than one user to to explore the way a feature should work, ProtoPie is going to make that super easy. So we've got a deal for you. You can go to protopie.io. You're going to get a 17-day free trial. They normally have a seven-day free trial, but if you sign up and log in, you can get an additional 10 days. And then when you sign up and start to pay, which you're going to want to do, you're going to get 30% off if you use the promo code DESIGNDETAILS. That's all one word. So you can try it for free right now. Again, that's protopie.io. And then whenever you're ready to upgrade, be sure to use the promo code design details, and that's going to get you 30% off of that one-year license. So thank you to ProtoPie. Go check them out at protopie.io. 
Protopie.io. Thanks, Protopie. And also thank you to Asana Design. Asana is looking to grow their team. They're、uh, looking at product designers and design managers at all levels. So they're going to be going to a couple cities、uh, here in late October and early November. They're going to be in Chicago from October 23rd through the 26th and Austin, Texas from November 6th through the 9th. So, like I said, they're looking for、uh, product designers and design managers to come and join them. They're going to be doing these short little、uh, interviews in, in this、uh, shortened format. And if you are so lucky as to get one of those positions, they're willing to fly you out to San Francisco. So, if you'd like more information on this, you can go to asana.design. There's a couple links at the top one for product designers and another for design managers.、Uh, but there's also some really cool stuff on that, on that page as well.、Uh, there's, I, I just recently read an article. Uh, if you scroll down to the bottom, there's、uh, key lessons I learned creating a popular design system. Really good article by a guy named、uh, Bond, Matt Bond. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So, if you're looking to work with Asana, again, they're going to be in Chicago and Austin later on this month and early next month. So,、uh, if you live close by, you can go and interview there. But if you don't live close by,、uh, contact them and they'll be、uh, willing to fly you out、uh, just so you can get that interview. So, thank you to Asana. And、uh, we hope you find your next person through us, your next peoples. And we hope those peoples find their next great job through us as well. Thanks, Asana. Much appreciated. Let's get into the episode. Marshall, you sound better this week. How you feeling? <laughs> ah, I feel awake.、Uh, yeah, last, last week, I literally got off a plane、uh, the morning that we recorded after having been up since the previous morning. Time zones are a son of a gun, Brian. And、uh, it, the、oh, jet lag got、it. to me. And <laughs>、so、listening back to the episode, I realized how gosh darn tired I sounded. And boy, oh boy, was I. But hopefully, this week I'll bring a little bit more energy and mess up fewer things. Like during the,、um, when we were talking about the watch, I think I said phone instead of watch at least <laughs> once. And I, when we were talking about sketch, I said page title instead of artboard title. I was so disappointed when I was listening back to the, to the show notes. Although I did record my mistakes in the show notes for posterity. So、oh. I'm aware of them and they're there, and you can. If it、rebel. makes you feel any better, I didn't catch those mistakes either. So maybe that says a lot about like, how good of a listener I am or how tired <laughs> I was. I don't know. But, anyways. Yeah.、Uh, <laughs> you sound great this week. So we did a slight, tiny, tiny, itsy bitsy little sketch review、uh, for the new beta. And、uh, I think in retrospect, it, would, it should more likely be called a sketch preview. Rather than a, or a tool preview rather than a tool review. We didn't really go deep, and I, I would like to revisit this. I've been using it the last couple days. I don't really have a good side project to play around with it on, so that's kind of where I'm stuck. Like, there's only so much you can do dragging boxes and squares around. But... Wow, they really improved the dragging boxes feature. <laughs> that's my job. That's my entire <laughs> job, Brian,、uh-huh. is dragging boxes around. And circles. Don't forget yeah. circles. Yeah. So I, I would like to use it a little bit more and have some more deep insights before we, we talk about it again. But、uh, that is coming in the future, probably when they launch it for reals, for reals, instead of just a beta. Better stuff is coming, I promise. Doing, doing deeper reviews there seems good. I, I think the struggle that I have, which probably you have, which probably every designer has, is like, how is it possible to go deep on every tool? Uh, that's coming out these days or every major update. And I, I just don't think it's really feasible. So maybe we'll just have to pick and choose the ones that we really want to go in depth on. And, and maybe that means it's a less common f- feature we do on the show. But hopefully, when we do it, it'll. 
be worthwhile. Yeah, no, I, th I think that's exactly it. I think we should be discerning in the tools that we choose to review, but the ones that we do, we should we should go all in on. Right. Also, I want to give a shout out to Kyle Mitchell, who gave us a very nice tweet last week about the show notes, which is uh, our our very small way of plugging the uh, spec.fm site where we have all the show notes for design details, which Marshall painstakingly compiles every week with a granularity and detail and level of polish that would make any senior editor uh, of a podcast proud. So Marshall's show notes are amazing. So if you haven't checked those out, Kyle Mitchell appreciated them. So you might too. Those are at spec.fm. So we'll self-plug. And thanks, Marshall, for doing the show notes every week. So well, I don't have to. Yeah, I'm, I'm just happy that it, it's noticed by at least one person. Like um, my, my goal is that for any listener, as as we're talking about this stuff, if we say something and you're like, what? What was that? that they, what they, I don't know what they're talking about. It's probably in the show notes. I've probably provided a link or at least a, a text explanation, but most likely a link to something that will uh, add much more clarity to, to the conversation. So if you find yourself questioning things, check the show notes. You want to know the cool thing about it too? So... The, the way that the show notes are built is uh, everything that you write gets indexed in a little search indexer that integrates okay. with Spec.fm. Mm -hmm. So any link that you've ever put in there, you can actually just search on Spec.fm. So as a result, you can search for people, you can search for tools. Oh. So like I just went on Spec.fm and I searched for, like imagine you knew the name of the like lift color tool that we talked about. Mm -hmm. It's called Colorbox. So if you go on Spec.fm and search Colorbox, that episode shows up. I think you could probably search Lyft as well and see any episode that we've talked about Lyft. Huh. I, I just searched tactile paving and both episodes where we talked about tactile paving came up. There you and go. And now I'm going to have to add it to a third episode because <laughs> I just <laughs> mentioned it. So anyways, everything's searchable as well. So you can search for topics and people and things that we've ever mentioned on the shows, uh, especially with the, the new format of Design Details from Marshall where you do these painstaking show notes. So those are useful for rediscovery as well. Cool. Is that all for, for follow-up? Are we ready to get into some some Let's new get into stuff? the news. You want to start, start us off? Beep, 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 beep. Uh, no, you added this one, so you go, buddy. All right. So this week, MailChimp launched a redesign, a rebrand. Uh, they're yellow. They are doodly. Yeah, they are. So yeah, let, let's just talk a little bit about, I think it didn't get a, as big of a response as I expected. And the reason I expected it to get a bigger response is that this feels to me uh, reminiscent of the Dropbox redesign. And people lost their goddamn minds when Dropbox <laughs> redesigned uh, with sort of squiggly doodles and like more organic forms and, and new colors and all this kind of stuff. Like your non-traditional light blue system font startup branding. And so so anyways, MailChimp's fault too. And it didn't get as much coverage, but I thought we could just talk a little bit about reactions, how we feel about it, things that we like, don't like. Marshall, have you had a chance to, to poke around? Yeah, I have. And to, to go to your point on the Dropbox redesign, my guess about that would be the reason that there hasn't been the same pitchfork mentality about this is the Dropbox redesign had... I think two major things that this one doesn't have, which is questionable typography, or at least for me, I didn't like the typography, that wide stretched out font, yep. not a fan. And also the color combinations, not a fan. I can see why someone would like them, and I don't, I don't want to yuck anyone's yum, but not a, not a fan. Not a fan. <laughs> I don't want to yuck anyone's yum, but 
Ugh. No, just saying, I'm I'm not a fan of it. <laughs> but I don't think either of those things is true with this Mailchimp redesign. If anyone is like me, I don't think I said anything about the Dropbox redesign publicly until now. But yeah, for the most part, I don't say anything about any redesign ever because actually yep. this this sort of ties into what we mentioned uh, last week about what's a good yep. way to to criticize things while recognizing that you know this is the result of a lot of work that people put thought and effort and probably some research and, and talking to customers to to get right and it represents MailChimp's new way of thinking about the world and their customers and like who are we to say what's what's good and bad so anyways I guess you know there's our disclaimer as we talk about it is oh yeah so the, so the thing from last week we we're, we we're trying to figure out what the Silicon Valley shortening thing is is Rigby Richard is great but you know <laughs> <laughs> Rigby so, okay here's here's the thing so Yellow, I dig it. Not a whole lot of yellow websites these days, but the other one that I really like is Postmark, um, which is like an email sending application. Very similar, actually. Uh, so maybe, hopefully that's just coincidence. But anyways, postmarkapp.com is it's what we use for Spectrum to send all of our sort of transactional emails where MailChimp is a product for sending marketing emails. But both yellow and they both do it really well. Like the yellow actually works. It's it's not like a throw up yellow. It's um oh, Brian. Oh, fuck I'm, are they the exact same hex? They might be the same I'm going back and forth between Dude, tabs. They might I'm be the exact tabs. same yellow. <gasps> hang on, hang on. Uh, let me check this. We're hex. gonna expect this in real time, yeah. <laughs> oh oh no. Oh no. Uh F F E zero one B for for MailChimp and for MailChimp. F F D E zero zero. For oh, Jesus Christ, they're really, really close. And visually indistinguishable. They both yeah. have the serif font, too. Very similar. I can imagine why it would remind you of that. Oh, my gosh, the header is the same, too. Oh, boy. I like the, the top nav. Let's let's benefit of a doubt that and say... Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty standard yeah. top nav design. It's hard to get very uh, unique colors these days. Anyways, okay. Interesting, so it looks good. The, the colors, I actually like the, the typeface. It's like super organic uh very different than the traditional like system fonts san francisco-esque like helvetica fucking circular like you know like the the traditional sans serifs this this looks good uh it feels friendly it's it's bubbly it feels like closer to, to print world for me which is interesting for uh it, it does contrast with the logo in that way or the the logo type i guess but yeah i think the i think the combination of the the serif font, it's kind of a, a newsprint type of font. I'm not a font guy, so I'm probably wrong on that. But um and the and the sketches, like you would think that this kind of juxtaposition of you know official serif, right? Serifs say this is an official document to me, at least. They they seem more real, like this is the newspaper or this is an invoice or something, right? Yep. Yep. And the sketches feel very friendly and this yellow feels very friendly very like casual and informal but i think they really work well together to my eye i i don't know it's really feels good okay how do you feel about the illustrations because this style is there's been like the the startup style which i would honestly say was like the meg robichaud style of like bubbly characters sort of flat fuck i don't even know how to describe it anyways uh, what we're seeing now is sort of like this Dropbox. Would you call this grotesque? I don't even know what you would call this style. It's like f line drawing, uh, very intentionally disproportionate people with very weird features. Like, if fuck, what was... Yeah, the humans and the hands is where they lose me. 
the oh god which page was it one of the pages where the thumbs up has like three thumbs yeah on the yeah it's on why mailchimp why mailchimp yeah Fuck, that that's, hand makes that's me exactly what i was looking at like rolled doll-esque spooky bfg kind of style you know what i'm talking also about the uh the stair legs the stair the legs stair leg, yeah. uh or the stair leg illustration below that yeah I, okay, so, how do, so how do we talk about taste without yucking people's yums or is is there any way to talk about this in an objective way maybe it's just not my taste no i think i think this is subjective especially illustrations like okay. uh, obviously a lot of work went into this it's all consistent it's all you know self-consistent there's it, it keeps the same yellow coloring it's the if like you said it seems very intentional as far as like the there is no sketching of the lines it's just like very bold here's how i'm drawing this even if it's a little wonky which i appreciate it's not my it's not my thing but like for me the the biggest i, I like the top one so if you go to just like the landingpage.com like the hands going into the bird and the bird kind yes. of evolving leveling up the like motion yeah that's yeah. yeah the motion's all very very good very friendly very snappy yeah great curves i i think and i think the uh, illustrations just below that these little icons for create unique campaigns connect your favorite tools all these are nice again they're they're kind of wonky but it works it's only when it gets to the humans that my uncanny valley starts to throw off alarms <laughs> Yeah, the the hand is particularly disturbing for me. There's like yeah, the, hands and feet are hard though. I mean, like that's, those hard, are some of the, the hardest the, things to draw. The one in the homepage illustration is really nice, and and actually that that animation is kind of a perfect story of Mailchimp. Is like the mm -hmm. hands flying, turning into a bird, turning into a bigger bird, to an eagle kind of thing. Like it's a great story metaphor, and the hands look fine there. So so here's the thing about drawing hands. I went to art school, Brian, so I can talk about this. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. so, I went I'm to qualified. art school 15 years ago. I'm qualified. <laughs> so what, uh, one thing that was pointed out to me by the like best life drawing uh, teacher I've ever met and I think probably will ever meet. So his name was Bruno Cerdo. He does paintings. I don't want to get too much into it, but he's like one of the best life drawing guys ever. He's amazing. Look at some of his oil work. It's ridiculous. But he pointed out, which is very true, that when you're drawing body parts, a lot of times you don't draw what you see, you draw what you know. So you have a model of what a hand looks like in your mind. And chances are, if you can draw hands well, you're not drawing what you remember, or you just remember so many different examples that you can draw on. Uh, draw on. <laughs> you can pull from a huge catalog of, uh -huh. of um, reference in your mind. But mostly, people have a couple different hand positions that they can draw well, and everything else is, is junk. So I'm wondering if like this is one of those good hand positions that the artist knows how to draw really well, and the other one's not so much. You see this a lot in comic books. Do you think it was one, one person that did all these illustrations there? Or do you think this was a team and they just decided on a style? Because actually there is some inconsistency between them in terms of like line weights and, and, and things like that. Yeah, this could, be a, this could be a team. Usually for this type of thing, it's one person because it's their style, right? So I see, you just, yeah. But I don't, know, I don't know anything behind the scenes on this thing. But yeah, hands are hard to draw. All that to say is like hands are really freaking hard to draw. <laughs> Which is why cartoons only have three fingers and a thumb. Because fewer fingers means less effort for sure. you can draw faster. But yeah, yeah, aside from hands and people, like this mushroom illustration at the top of what you can do 
is really really nice like it's cute i like it i like the uh the mushroom in the bottom right that looks very skeptical uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> but like if you scroll down on that page the optimize for your audience the guy holding the magnifying glass horrifying that's that's nightmare very fuel. scary very scary i'm gonna have i'm gonna wake up in a cold sweat tonight thinking about yeah. this Sorry, that's mean. But yeah, I, I don't know. But like, there are, there are people who really like this style, and I can I can understand why. Yeah, so that's the Is Mailchimp that Rigby? design. Yeah, yeah, that's Rigby, and yeah. uh, that's at MailChimp.com. I guess, uh, listeners, if you want to go check it out, let us know what you think. Uh, overall, like, color type illustrations. I don't have too much to say on, like, the layout and the content. Like, it looks pretty good. It's pretty easy to get around, and uh, seems to describe their features pretty well. So uh, I guess we're focusing mostly on, on color type and illustration style so let us know what you think yeah hit us up on the twitters let us know what you think well maybe we'll do a uh i don't know if we should do a a what do you think of this poll about people's work but yeah maybe we just leave that open-ended because it is subjective this is gonna rub some people the right way and rub some people the wrong way and and you know maybe maybe marshall you and i are just a couple cookie cookie cutter vanilla boys that uh (laughs) are used to a certain thing and this is this is a new new exploration which is nice yeah oh like i said it, it, some some parts rub me the right way others rub, rub me wrong sure the, the whole point is that it's rubbing right the, <laughs> the whole point is i've been rubbed and i'm on mailchimp.com uh-huh. reading their marketing pages <laughs> right yeah exactly also like when it comes to art it's better that people hate hate it than don't feel anything about it at all right hmm. i think that's a pretty common uh sentiment it's like i'd rather make something that people hate than something that people don't care about because at least you're making them feel right <laughs> especially when it comes to like music yeah. or movies i don't know if user experience is the best place to exercise that dichotomy but uh yeah i want people to hate my app so that they at least feel something day to day yeah it's called rage that's the name, the name yes. of my app it's just yeah pure unadulterated rage that's not a bad idea to make an app that just is very very frustrating <sighs> to use is like there's a, games like that a novelty novelty app mm-hmm. yeah like quap or well yeah there's quap that's intentionally hard um i'm thinking of getting over it like that's just a, a rage inducing game oh, have, have you seen that you're uh-huh. you're a guy in a cauldron with a sledgehammer and you're basically just a torso in a cauldron <laughs> with a sledgehammer and you use that sledgehammer to climb a mountain and at any point one wrong move you basically go fall all the way back down to the bottom of the mountain uh you can watch yep. some youtube videos of people <laughs> rage quitting and also people being really really good at it and it's kind of frustrating to watch people be so adept at something that's so seemingly hard but yeah and and the thing that adds insult to injury the the developer is just one guy who made it uh, his name is bennett foddy just one guy who made this game he uh when you fall down the mountain if you fall a sufficient um, amount of of altitude he once you land he will read off a motivational quote which is usually <laughs> the exact opposite of motivation uh hilarious yeah so you'll lose like an hour of progress and he'll be like you know, when we fall down, the most important thing is that we pick ourselves back up, dust ourselves off, and get back on the horse. It's like, shut up. Amazing. <laughs> just, just trying to climb this mountain. But yeah. Anyways. So I put this link in here. This is Design and Code, which we've covered before when we discussed React, I believe. Mengto's uh, amazing set of resources. Yeah, Mengto just killing it. It's killing it now in Framer X, Framer 10. Do we know? <laughs> I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this is Framer X, because mm-hmm. as far as I know, there was not a Framer 9. Yeah, it was just Framer before, or Framer Studio was the previous version. Yeah. So Framer 10, 
uh, is now covered by <laughs> Design and Code. I think all all the past versions of his tutorials that I've done, like for Swift and uh, basically building an app, have been super instructional and they're not free. You have to pay for it, but I think you definitely get your money's worth. And even like even the design of the site and the way like the user experience of of the learning aspect of the the course is really well thought through everything is thoroughly documented plenty of example files for you to choose from or to for you to like look at how things are done and i always get one for framer x framer 10 x yeah great stuff and and well congrats to mang for launching it that's at designcode.io slash framer hyphen x but i assume it's also linked to from designcode.io yes you are correct yes <laughs> so let's uh we have a uh we have a device review today uh what we're reviewing is we're going to talk about concept cars and one of the things that i would like to do with this show is branch out on talking about design from just apps and web stuff to design in general. And I think there's a lot of lessons we can learn from other industries and other fields uh, that we can bring back to our own applications, both literal and figurative. And so we have a few examples of, of some concept cars that we want to talk about here. Most of these, actually all of these are autonomous. Is that true, Brian? Yes. Yeah. So everybody, I don't think there's anything new under the sun when it comes to cars in general, when, when the main focus of the car is for a driver to get it from point A to point B. But when you take away the driver and the steering wheel and the car becomes a point A to point B thing that is autonomous, I think that very much changes how the interior space gets used and how the exterior space, or the exterior surface of the car um, reacts to the world around it. So yeah, so I seeded this, this uh, conversation here with a link to a Verge article about a Volvo car called the 360C. Now this is just a concept. And the sad thing about all this stuff is that it'll probably never be anything but a concept. One of the, one of the uh, to, to bring this back to our world, I often try to make sure people are aware when working on a feature of what the scope of that feature is and make sure that we're not designing a concept car when what will really actually ship is just the production car. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. Like, yeah. yeah. If you've ever been to a car show, you, you see all these super cool, sleek and glass heavy uh, concept cars that have tons of cool features and they're super futuristic and really slick and Three years later, a car comes out with that same name as the concept car, but every, all the corners have been shaved off and all the uh, figurative corners have been shaved off and all the cool stuff that was really innovative is gone and it's replaced by something far more pedestrian and quotidian. And uh, it's really kind of sad when you know what it could have been and uh, it ends up being this lame watered down version. So, but, but the cool thing about this is there still are concept cars and they're making these concept cars and they're still just as cool. Once you have the knowledge that this thing isn't actually going to release as it appears here, it's a little bit easier pill to swallow. No, I, I feel like the, the concept car never becoming a reality is like just the harsh truth of designing for the futures. Like how can we just come up with moonshotty, stuff and then take the best ideas of that and sort of backwards integrate or work towards like specific features here uh like we'll probably never get the entire package in one new car like one fell swoop it'll be 
uh, you'll know. You'll notice like a new display or like a new way of interacting with the car, a new way of unlocking it or like all these little things that sort of add up. So in 30 years, maybe we'll look at this and like, oh, yeah, that actually kind of came true. But it just the the time horizon for it was vastly skewed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like this would be great to do and we should totally do it, but we can't. So what can we do now? Right. Right. Yeah. And I think probably part of the frustration with that with with cars is that you can see the future looking work whereas and everybody can see it whereas with uh, a development team only the team knows what the future looks like and luckily aside from uh, testers and research participants nobody outside of the company knows how cool it could be uh, and then feels that same you know uh, feeling of loss when they realize what actually ships you know what I'm talking about right actually I i'm getting towards the end of the article and and it says uh the company points out that this is only meant to be a conversation starter, meant to be thought-provoking more than a real product. Anyways, yeah, it's a, it's a conversation starter, which is good, which is uh, <laughs> very fitting as it is what start this conversation. So tell me a little bit about your reactions here, Marshall, as a non-car owner, um, but certainly having thought about and been interested in cars and, and where autonomous is going. What's your reaction? Yes. So, so a little bit of background. I When I was maybe like 11 or 12, I started really getting into cars. I started really, not so much the exteriors as the interiors, which now I realize was just my um, attraction to user experience design. But I ordered like car and driver, I had a monthly subscription to car and driver and road and track. And there's always like, you know, three pages of the car on the track and like um, from the outside. And there's usually just like one picture of the interior but I would pour over those interiors and like design my own and figure out gauge placement and try to come up with new paradigms and stuff patterns. Um, so this very much appeals to me because kind of how I got into the whole industry or at least got into this concept of user experience design. So um, the thing about this one I find really fascinating is that they, like I was mentioning earlier, they have taken away the steering wheel and everything that is... Uh, that accompanies that as far as like speedometer and all of the gauge cluster and, and uh, all the controls and stuff that you would be using are no longer on a central dash there kind of actually, where do they put them? <laughs> I'm not even sure where all the controls are. They probably hide them because uh, these kind of concept cars are like remove, 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 like yeah. take, take out as much as you can while still maintaining the uh, essence of what it's supposed to be. But, but they're approaching the interiors as more of a living space, right? Um, and I think one of the uses of this car is to replace short flights. So instead of going to the airport and having to deal with the airport and everything that that encompasses, you can just order a car and you don't have to drive. So maybe you're going from SF to LA, right? That's a one-hour flight up and down, basically. Um, I think it's about a five- or six-hour drive. But if you didn't actually have to do the driving... It could be a really good use of time and you wouldn't have to deal with all that airport bull, bull nonsense, right? So, yeah, I think the the living interior aspect of this thing is totally different because it feels much more like a business class or like, you know, first class airplane experience than it does a driving experience. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's the, the thing about this concept that's interesting to me is in most other concept cars, most other autonomous, not even, not concept cars, sorry, uh, like autonomous cars, the the direction the industry seems to be heading towards is like, how do we remove ownership from from the equation? Like, 
Can we make it so that people don't really feel like they need to own a car, much in the same way that people don't feel like they need to own an airplane unless you're mega rich, where a car can just become like this device that gets you from A to B, and then you sort of shed yourself from the responsibilities of it as soon as you arrive. And and Volvo seems to be really leaning into that here. So this whole article is actually about how they want to sell these cars to airlines uh, and that their case is environmental, uh, but it's also economic. It's instead of buying a billion dollar airplane, just buy a few hundred of these cheaper cars that, like you said, are, feel like a first class ticket seat experience. Like it can fit one or two people. There's like a fucking champagne drawer. You can lay down and take a nap. This looks like a first class airline seat in a little pod on wheels. So sell that to an, an airline. You don't have to sell it to a human. No human necessarily needs this or wants this or wants that parked. But sell it to an airline, pick people up, drop them off for these shorter destination uh, trips. Yeah. Can you imagine a, a United branded car, right? Right. Yeah. Powered by Volvo or whatever. So so framing the, the car from that perspective, I like that direction that we're going. I think for me, and I don't know, maybe this is like a very American thing because of how much land there is in America. Cars are like this metaphor of freedom and self-expression and identity. And I've never really yep. bought into that. Like I don't feel like my car represents me. It doesn't represent freedom to me. It's like a convenient utility. And I feel like uh, maybe most of the world views cars in a similar way besides the US. That's my hunch from having traveled around a little bit. I would guess countries that have had cars as long as America's had cars probably feel the same way. Yeah. Right. So like I, yeah. back in the back in like the fifties it was very much what you were saying before. Like this is it's a uh, take, take a ride in your new car <laughs> and uh, on the country roads and enjoy the scenery with your loved ones. That kind of thing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a man and you've got a man's car. It's a man's car here <laughs> with a muscle man car. Yep, yep. <laughs> right. Yeah, pen that pen that into a generation's head uh, uh-huh. every day, and and then you're gonna get some fucked up perceptions of what a car is. But I think I mean it, it makes sense. It's true, but I think it's probably healthier to not have that extra. Like when you have a car, and I had a car when I was in high school. Um, and actually, this is my my first car was a Volvo station wagon. So this Volvo concept is uh, close to home. But uh, when I had a car, I was constantly worrying about it when I wasn't, when I had it parked somewhere and I was out, like is somebody fucking with my car? Um, Sorry, is somebody messing with my car? (laughs) (laughs) Is somebody Uh, fricking around with my car? (laughs) Making heckin' damage? Um, Yeah, (laughs) I I would worry about it, right? And also, I'm a very safe driver, but I constantly worry about other drivers um, running into me. And if I didn't have to think about that, and if most of the cars on the road were autonomous and and well-proven to not kill people... That just be less stress in my life, I think. I don't know. Yeah, so I I was going to say my point there is like, I think that this is really important for car companies to be smart about how they basically message what this car is for. I think if you showed this to like a normal everyday American, they might be like, wow, this is so lavish and egregious and over the top. Why would anyone need to own this? And actually, that's kind of the point. It's like, you shouldn't have to own something like this. This is an experience that you pay for for a couple hours every few months when you take a short trip, right? Like, So framing it in that way, I think, will probably be helpful for adoption so there isn't such resistance from people who feel like a car is something that should be owned and it's a it's a tool for self-expression. No, this can actually just be a, a utility much in the same way that we treat 
airplanes like utilities. The, the autonomous aspect of it is pretty major on this too. They have a lot of, there's a strip that basically, a, a light strip that goes around the, out, the perimeter of the car. Basically the equator of the car is just a big long LED strip and it lights up to show that it recognizes that it sees a pedestrian or it sees a biker. Um, it has sound effects too. If you watch the, there's like, so it's called the 360 and there's a YouTube 360 video. Oh yeah. Which is clever. But you can watch this video and it's it sounds as though it has its own audio cues. So when it's about to start moving, it does this whoop, 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 whoop kind of sound to let you know. Cool. It's almost kind of foghorny too. I, I only watched it the one time. I can't remember. But um, yeah, it's interesting. It's like, and it, and it frames it as intention to start moving, right? Right. Because it's an electric car, it doesn't make any sound, right? So I think it's actually kind of important if there's no driver to look like, hey, I'm going to warn everybody around me. I'm about to start moving. I don't know how that scales to a city full of these things or like just constantly whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> yeah. That, so the, uh, the sound and the uh, recognition of objects is two things that I think are really interesting. And actually, we talked to Stephanie Engel uh, about this on an episode of Design Details. I think it was like 251 or, or somewhere in there. Uh, encyclopedic. She works at uh, Cruise, which is building autonomous cars. But one of the things that I remember most from that episode was the design problem of today when people are crossing an intersection and a car is approaching that intersection, how do pedestrians know that it's safe to cross? The answer is you look at the driver and as soon as you've made eye contact, mm -hmm. there's this like invisible contract that's been created that says, I see you, you see me, I'm safe to cross. Yep. With autonomous cars, how do you create that contract when there are no eyes to look into mm -hmm. um so volvo's obviously thought about this and then from the sound perspective as well as like you approach an intersection where an autonomous car is already stopped how do you know if it's safe to go like is is it about to drive it's not making noise mm -hmm. um and actually bryn pointed out a video I, I i don't maybe you could search this but i think it was a bmw perhaps or audi that put speakers like huge external speakers in the car that basically just play fucking loud engine spaceship noises <laughs> for the sole purpose of alerting pedestrians and people outside. Yeah. It, yeah, it is skeuomorphism for, from a safety perspective, which makes a lot of sense and is something that, you know, might not have been so obvious to design for or account for when you first started, when they first started building these. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, we have uh, a couple other cars like this. There's the, the Neo Eve, N-I-O Eve. Is this a car company called Neo? Yeah, this is a Chinese car company called Neo. Never heard of it. Well, it's a real thing. But this is their concept car. The Eve is their autonomous concept car. Uh, we'll have all the links to these in the show notes for people that are interested in Pokemon. But I feel like this one's pretty similar. This feels more like a family car, though, that is yeah. like super luxurious, right? I feel like the output feels similar, but the messaging is very different. Like the Volvo one and the Neo, the output looks the same. But what you just mentioned is right. Like the Volvo says, this is a replacement for an airline ticket. And the Neo says, this is your new family car. There's like a kid playing with it, like your kid's toys. There's like little fucking wood blocks on the floor of the car that they can play with. The video is narrated from the By perspective a of a child. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a pretty clear way uh, of thinking about like how these companies think about their cars. Uh, but the output feels so similar, right? Like tons of glass, uh, reclining seats. It looks very comfortable. You might want to spend time in it. You could imagine taking a long trip in it. The glass even is supposedly opaque. I'm not sure how, you know, 
hand wavy this is, but it shows the, the glass becoming opaque from the outside. So it just looks like silver. So there is no view out into the exterior from the inside, even though you can still see, maybe. I don't know if it's one way. But also they have a really cool thing at the end where it's nighttime and this star light pattern goes up over the roof of the car on the interior. Yeah. <laughs> really interesting. It's very future forward and very experience oriented i would say the i would say the 360 the volvo is way more solving a use case along with some experience stuff but no more than you would expect from like a a really nice airline seat but this is more like how can we put a living room and uh, delight people inside of a car that they're not driving i feel like i'm in a tom cruise movie when i look at this one yeah oh yeah does that make sense like uh it would have to be a futuristic but a bright futuristic so not edge of tomorrow this is more of a minority report kind of thing that was actually what came to mind yes the third car we have on our list is from mercedes and actually this is also great because this is the third use case or like marketing branding message that they're putting out again the output just looks so similar i mean i think mercedes looks the worst because in general i think mercedes look like bad cars sick burn but their use case is like business people in suits having a meeting with the video chat display on the side of the door have your next conference call in our car like Mm -hmm. what the fuck so anyways we have an airline seat a family car and a goddamn conference center yeah airline seat, a living room and a and a conference room yep yeah all of these things in a car but this yeah. is a totally different use case right and maybe this could be combined with the cross-country trip or something like a business trip but i don't know if i'd want to be in a car with four this seems more city oriented can you imagine taking a cross-country trip with these three business people Ugh. Ugh. those suits have to be uncomfortable yeah sorry for everyone listening you're gonna have to just go look at this Website. Yeah, click on the links. These, Go in the show notes. We're looking at marketing through. images of three people having a very serious conference call in this Mercedes-Benz autonomous car. <laughs> three very serious white people doing business. Yeah. So which one of these resonates with you the most? I feel like outputs are all like revolving around similar designs. Like, yeah, okay, we want it to be comfortable to be inside of. Lots of displays, artificial intelligence, voice controlled. It's like aerodynamic seats. as fuck on the outside and silver. Right. And lots of smooth surfaces on the interior everything no sharp edges everything is curved and banked yeah so uh, of the three which one of these resonates the most with you which feels like a compelling product that you could actually see existing in the world i don't know i think probably the most realistic one is the volvo one the one i Mm. would use for real would be the volvo one i think i would actually like do that instead of for a short trip right and i would actually love that for for a long drive Instead of like sitting in an Uber for 45 minutes and paying a ton of money, I'd rather mm-hmm. pay a ton of money and not have to talk to a human. Go figure. <laughs> and But I would want for myself, I would want the Neo Eve. I think mm. that would be a cool car to have. Well, no surprises here. You and I land uh, on, the, on the same page. I, Fight I me, can... Brian. Fight me. The thing about the Volvo, which I think makes a lot of sense, and I think it's where perhaps other companies are struggling is like figuring out who the fuck is going to pay for these who's going to buy these cars and i think volvo is very much being pragmatic about this like all right let's talk to the airline industry and not fight them but convince them to diversify supplement yeah supplement the experience that people are already coming to hate and despise and all the baggage no pun intended that comes with (laughs) flying on airline like the security the the lines all this kind of stuff like how can we supplement that experience with something that is smaller lighter weight more cost effective better for the environment 
um, is probably much more appealing to your business travelers anyways, who are not price sensitive as far as like a ticket cost goes. Like it feels realistic that that could exist in the world. And then that technology sort of filters down into uh, like a personally owned car or family car. Especially because autonomous cars are so much better at highways than they are city streets. Right. Uh, or at least today. None of these are going to come out today, but like I, I think the it's realistic to say this could go from your door to another door without ever having to touch a steering wheel, whereas the other ones I feel it's like a little bit more far fetched. But only for now, yeah. the future is coming. We have like supercomputers in our pockets, so yeah, it'll happen. Yeah. So maybe this is a good poll we could put up, Marshall. We could put up yeah. uh, the Volvo, the Neo, and the Mercedes as a poll, and I don't know what the question is whether it's which one do you think will exist first which one would you buy i could do both maybe both um so anyways yeah listeners what do you think of these cars of concept cars and we'll have a poll up on our twitter uh design details fm also do you like this idea of of talking about kind of peripheral design that isn't necessarily talking about sketch or you know prototyping tools or you know yeah let us know what you thought speaking of cool let's do one cool things and get the hell out of here all right so these are not new things, but they are cool things indeed. So uh, for people who have been listening know I'm on the road, I'm traveling, and there are a couple Google features that if you haven't traveled to a place where you don't speak the, the native tongue, uh, they're features that you wouldn't necessarily discover. Like they're kind of buried in menus, or, or in this case, uh, one of them is Google Translate. It's like an app that maybe you've never had the need to download. But anyways, a uh, couple cool things that I've I found particularly useful. So I, I've been using Google Translate uh, and there are two features within Google Translate that are absolutely amazing when traveling in a certainly like a Chinese speaking country. So the first is a camera feature where you just point a camera at a piece of Chinese text. Uh, I assume it works for like Japanese and Korean as well, but I've, I've been in Chinese speaking countries. You point a camera at some text and it does its best guess at, at translating that like in place in real time uh, as you point the camera at it. So uh, my use yeah, case here was crazy. It, it, it's buck wild. And the uh -huh. translation is okay, but it's enough to give you context about what the thing's saying. So yep. my use case was yesterday I, I had to do laundry and I had two guides for this. One is I called my girlfriend and got her on FaceTime and had her help me read some of the signs. But I also just could point the camera at a couple of the signs on the, the laundry machines uh, on like the tables nearby. I was like, I feel like they're trying to warn me of something. There's all these signs everywhere. Anyways, you just point the camera and you can get a gist of like one of them was just about, hey, try and save water. Use a smaller machine, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And the cool thing about it too is, and the thing that blows my mind, it makes it so magical is that it tracks the skew and you know it tracks the translation on top of the thing it's translating. So like, you know exactly what it is it's, it's, it's replacing, it, it, which is a great AR feature. I can't wait for right. the day when we can, I can just walk around and I don't have to be able to read any signs. It just does that automatically in my brain, you know? Totally, yeah. So that one's cool. Uh, then the second feature is handwriting. So it actually just pulls up like a little blank box where you can, if you see a character that you don't recognize and the camera is not working for some reason, you can just draw the character and it will translate. Oh, so I didn't know about this. That's a good one. It's great. Google Translate's been awesome. And then the second feature, uh, which is the, the one that I feel like you would never have to know about unless you really dig through the menus. Uh, I guess it's not super hidden is the Google Maps offline maps. Um, so I've just been uh, drawing squares around places that I'm going uh, and I download those maps for offline use. It's a lifesaver for if you don't have a SIM card or if you yep. uh, sporadically lose service or your phone is low battery and you turn on airplane mode, like how can I still navigate around? Uh, so offline maps 
plus translate has been my cool thing because it's helped me survive. So thank you, Google. <laughs> you're welcome. Hey, another <laughs> quick you, thing I would say is you're welcome. There's a two-way conversation translator too, where yeah. I can hold a button in my language and talk and it'll translate to your language. And then you can hold the same button in your language and it'll translate it for me, which is basically a babble fish, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, it's, it's the most crazy magical thing, especially when you're surrounded by completely baffling environment that you don't you can't understand what's being said. You can't understand what you're reading. It's it's magical. It, and I don't know how many people actually know about it or use it, but I'm glad you're bringing attention to it because it's such a great feature. All right, so for my cool thing, this is something that, uh, a little piece of tech that I am a big fan of. Uh, I will caveat off the top that uh, it is slightly hard to use. I think the hardware is better than the software, but there's really not a whole lot you have to do with the software, so it's not that bad. So... This is a thing called Dream Screen TV. I believe it was a Kickstarter back in the day, but now they have their own standalone site and they'll just ship as you order. But what it is, is a series of LED strips that go, uh, that attach to the back of your television or computer monitor. And the way it works is there's a little splitter box. So you plug HDMI into one end and out the other side, there's a, I don't know if it's HDMI or not, but there's a cable that goes to the lights that tells them what colors to be. And there's an HDMI that goes to your TV or, or monitor to pass on the signal. And what happens is it splits that signal and it tells the lights based on where they are positioned around the outside of the screen on the back. You put it around the perimeter on the backside. And it samples the screen from that region where the light is behind and takes an average color and projects it onto the wall or surface behind your TV or monitor, which means that it basically extends in the periphery kind of blurry part of your vision already. It extends the screen further. It's 60 frames a second. They have a, a 1080p version and a 4K version. And I just upgraded to the 4K version on my living room TV and it's awesome. You don't even have to change the lights. You can just change the switcher, which is really cool. Um, so if you're upgrading from 1080p, uh, it's uh, much lower cost, but it's great for video games. It's awesome for movies. I love it so much, especially if the the bezel on your TV is relatively narrow. If it's, if you have a thin bezel around the outside, it really blurs the lines between where your screen ends and where the wall begins. Super cool thing. Uh, what do you think? You've been over to my house and watched movies with it, Brian. It's something that I thought was so egregious and like over <laughs> the top at the time. Sure. But it's become... I'm, I've been sitting here as you're talking, like trying to think of a good metaphor and maybe one that kind of works or... A, a, similarity is it feels like tap to wake on the iphone 10 where once you're used to being able to tap on your screen to turn it on going back feels like you're touching a broken device in the same way that watching tv on yours which has this dream screen like color blurring around the edges and then going back to an old tv without it feels like the old tv is broken somehow so that's the way i think about it is like i don't think it, it it doesn't make the tv it doesn't make movies better but when you're when you've been used to it and then you go back it feels like everything before that is like slightly broken or yep. 
disconnected from the environment. So overall, I'm a fan. It looks really good. Yeah. Yeah, I would describe it as you you don't necessarily notice it when it's on, but you notice it when it's off. Yes. Would you say that's yes. true? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and because it's in your periphery, like you can forget that it's on, but if if but if it turns off or if, if you start watching something without it on, you're like, "Wait a minute, why is this different?" Oh, right, I have to turn on the TV, uh, the dream screen. Yeah, cool thing. Final cool thing into the episode. Thank you for listening. Uh, we're on Twitter at Design Details FM. Thank you to Sarah and Drew for Thanks, producing Drew. this episode and making us sound smarter than we actually are. And of course, thank you to our sponsors for making this episode possible. Huge thank you to ProtoPi. ProtoPi is going to make it easy for you to build high fidelity prototypes on your Mac, on your Windows PC, uh, and load those prototypes on your iPhone or Android. Uh, it has a beautiful mental model with a very easy learning curve to start building high fidelity prototypes today. Go to protopi.io. You can sign up and get a 17-day free trial as soon as you sign in. And then when you're ready to upgrade to Pro, you can save 30% on a yearly subscription by using the promo code DESIGNDETAILS. That's design details one word. That's going to save you 30% on your yearly subscription. So go check out Protopi at protopi.io. We're also sponsored by Asana. Asana is looking to expand their team with new product designers and new design managers at all levels. So if you're interested in working for a great company like Asana, they're going to be in Chicago on October 23rd through the 26th, and they're going to be in Austin from November 6th through the 9th. So if you're new to those cities uh, and you are available on those dates, head out there, get yourself a short interview, and if you're lucky enough to snag that position, uh, they will fly you out to sunny San Francisco where you can uh, work with their team and uh, make a big impact on how people work. So that's asana.design. And uh, go to that link and check out the couple links at the top, product designers and design managers for what's appropriate for you. Thanks, Asana. If you need more podcasts for your ears, go to spec.fm. We've got shows for designers and developers just like you. Uh, we've also got a great search feature for finding content and things that we've talked about in our show notes. And of course, if you have been enjoying the show and you want to help us out and have a minute, leave us an iTunes review. We love reading those. Those iTunes yeah. review tell Apple that you're listening. It helps us move up the charts, helps new designers just like you discover the show. We really appreciate it. So if you have a second, leave us an iTunes review. It makes us feel good. When it I, makes when us I hear, feel when I read real good. L- listener's feedback, it just makes me feel good. So don't it you want to make feels, us feel good? It also feels good to get tweets. Uh, tweet at us. We're yeah. on uh, Twitter, at Design Details FM. We love the feedback. We love ideas. We love people responding to the episode. So hit us up for on Twitter, at Design Details FM. Marshall and I are both on that Twitter account, so we'll both be replying to stuff. Uh, and of course, if you want to chat with other listeners, you can go to spectrum.chat slash specfm. That's our community for uh, designers and developers who listen to Spec FM shows. Thanks, everyone, for putting up with the audio quality. I'll, I'll be back in San Francisco for episode probably 270. Oh, God. So long from now. Okay. So you're going to have to put up with this for a little while longer. <laughs> can, can you give me a bye, Brian? Bye. Perfect. Bye.